please stand and welcome our bishop, Bishop Earl K. Fernandez. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. We'll see if the applause is as great at the end of the talk. Very happy to be here. Thank you for your warm welcome. Yesterday marked six months since I became the Bishop of Columbus, so six months under my belt, 25 years to go. Um, so I'm very happy to be here. Uh, they told me that this uh, Catholic uh, gentleman's luncheon used to be really a Catholic uh, businessman's luncheon. They used to have it at some older hotels uh, here in Columbus uh, that burned down. I said, well, the Catholic gentleman went there and they had to burn the hotel afterward. <laughs> it's good to be here. Uh, when I was installed six months ago, I said uh, that there are two priorities for me right off the bat, uh, evangelization and vocations. Uh, we need to cultivate and build a, uh, a culture of vocations here in the Diocese of Columbus. Uh, last year, uh, there were 18 seminarians. Uh, this year, I'm happy to report we have 25 seminarians. I'm further happy to report that, um, that uh, Father Hahn has 10 men in application already for next year. Uh, so our numbers are going up. But we need your prayers. We need you to identify young men who would make good priests and to invite them to consider diocesan priesthood because we've got a million people coming to the Diocese of Columbus and all of them need Jesus Christ. And so we need people willing to offer the holy sacrifice of the Mass, to hear confessions, and to preach the gospel. The gospel is good news, and that brings me to the second priority, which is evangelization. Uh, a couple of weekends ago, uh, there was a, a, uh, a new evangelization summit held uh, at uh, Ohio Dominican University, uh, put on by the Office of Evangelization of the Diocese, and I was one of the keynote speakers. And there, I, I kind of outlined uh, what do I mean by evangelization, and what are characteristics of an evangelizing community? And I based my remarks largely on what Pope Francis had to say in his apostolic exhortation, the joy of the gospel. We want to be an evangelizing community, the whole Diocese of Columbus. We want our individual parishes to be an evangelizing community. We want our families themselves to be an evangelizing communities, evangelizing in our neighborhoods, outside of the walls of the church in our businesses. Uh, wherever we go, we constantly want to be bringing good news. The prophet Isaiah says, how happy are the feet of those who bring good news. And so what does Pope Francis mean when he says these are characteristics of an evangelizing community? He means that the community should be, have a missionary spirit, should show initiative, should be involved or engaged with its members, should be willing to accompany its members on their journey of faith, and in the end, you want all this accompaniment to actually bear fruit, and the fullness of that fruit is joy. The Dominicans here at St. Patrick, they want to hand on the fruits of their contemplation. What they're contemplating, contemplating really is the God who brings us true joy. So let's flesh out those characteristics then of an evangelizing community. First thing the Pope says is it has to be, have a missionary spirit. That is, he dreams of a missionary church, a church goes forth, that leaves its comfort zone to share the good news of salvation. Who of us could be silent about what God has done for us? Even consider this morning's gospel, right? It was the two blind men who pursued Jesus, and they wanted to see. And Jesus said, let it be done according to your faith, and they were instantly healed. And Jesus told them not to tell anybody, but they went out and blabbed. They could not keep silent about 
what Jesus had done for them, nor could we. We have to be missionary, and we have to be missionary first amongst our own, within our families themselves, but then within our parishes. Right? We can't be concerned with maintaining what we have. Rather, we have to be concerned about the mission of evangelization. Even here in the Diocese of Columbus, we're undergoing the real presence, real future process. It's not just about merging and closing parishes because uh, we don't have enough priests. It's actually about how can we better use, utilize our resources for the sake of the mission. We all have to be essentially missionaries to those who have never heard of Christ and to those who have heard but maybe have lapsed. Even amongst those who are somewhat practicing, still we need to deepen their faith in Christ. So we have to have a truly missionary spirit. A couple of years ago, there was a summit held, or a synod held on the Amazon and the situation of the Amazon, and clearly there are not enough priests. And so they engaged in this process, and of course, everyone in the pop mainstream media just want to talk about, we need married priests. That'll solve the problem, right? But what the synod actually revealed was that um, many priests from that region were going off to Europe and America because they got paid more because the life was more comfortable, because you didn't have some of the hardship rather than really wanting to be missionary. That's true of us as well. We want to stay where it's comfortable, and the Pope wants us to go out into the world. Now, sometimes in the old days, we used to think of the church as the lighthouse, giving light to those in darkness, to the ship that's being tossed about at sea amidst the great storm. And that was a good model. If you could just make it to the lighthouse, you could make it to shore, you would be safe. But what about those who can't make it to the lighthouse? Who are too weak, too wounded, too addicted, whatever it happens to be, who can't make it there? What about them? Are we going to let them drown at sea? Or should we not go out with torches lit to find them in those dark places and bring them the light of Christ? We have to have a missionary spirit. That's a sign, a hallmark of an evangelizing community. A second hallmark the Pope says, is it's a community that shows initiative. Here he uses the Spanish word, primeriar, to take the initiative, not to wait for people to come to us, but to go out to them. People come, right, to St. Patrick's from all over the city. Walk outside St. Patrick's. What's the neighborhood like? People come to the cathedral from all over the city, not as many as come to St. Pat's. But what do you see? Poverty great poverty. We have the Black Door Ministries at the cathedral, and the line just keeps on getting longer and longer and longer. People don't have work. People don't have enough to eat. The money doesn't, that they do have doesn't go as far as it used to. Do we show initiative? We say, uh, people have stopped coming to Mass. These young people, I don't know what gets in their head, right? 50% of Catholics under age 30, who, those who are baptized as Catholics, do not believe in God or any religion at all. 50% of those lose their faith by age 13. Part of showing initiative is to go out to them and to begin to understand why they're not coming. Not so long ago, I was down at Plank's Cafe on Parsons Avenue, and I was, I was just getting a pizza and having a beer, and a guy comes up to me, hey, pastor, and he said, oh, should I say father? I said, actually, I'm the bishop. He said, oh, I read about you in the newspaper. I said, uh-oh. Uh, anyway, but he and I began to talk, and he, he volunteers for the Dominican Sisters of Peace, and he says, I do these good things and all. And he said, but, you know, Bishop, I lack faith. I don't go to Mass. I lack faith. And I said, well, why do you say that? And he said, well, 15 years ago, my brother got cancer, and he died. And I, I just, 
I just can't go back. I just lost my faith. And then he got teary-eyed, and he asked me if I would pray for him, and I said I'd pray for him. I asked his brother's name. Uh, I gave him a blessing, and, uh, and then he, he embraced me, and he had never spoken to a priest in 15 years. But it's important to understand why people have stopped coming and try to actually address those. That's what the Pope means by seizing the initiative. Each one of us probably knows someone in our family who has fallen away from the church, who has fallen into drugs, who has bought into the homosexual lifestyle, all kinds of things. What are we doing to understand the reasons why and to bring them to the Lord, to have a deep personal encounter with the Lord? Pope Benedict, and Pope Francis quotes this all the time, says, being a Christian is not a result of an ethical choice or a lofty idea, but is the result of an encounter with an event or a person who gives our life a decisive direction and who opens up new horizons. The event or the person is Jesus Christ, but Monsignor Luigi Giussani says, the presence of Christ is mediated in the human reality through the church, and you gentlemen are the church. You mediate Christ also, bear his presence to those around. How do you do that? You have to have this missionary spirit. You have to show a little bit of initiative. Now, the Pope also says another characteristic is that the community gets involved, or in, uh, an evangelizing community gets involved and engaged in the, life, in the life of its members. So he uses this term, balconear, to describe something, a phenomenon in Argentina and in other countries. You imagine two little old ladies up on their balcony, looking out from their balcony at what everybody else is doing and then what they're doing wrong, pointing out the faults, recognizing the faults, then beginning their little gossip about who needs to be doing what and so on and so forth. And they see all the problems, but they never lift a f and they talk all over they want about it, but they never lift a finger to help solve or address the problem, right? Well, Bishop, this is the problem in the church today. I get a lot of those letters these days, right? What's the solution? Well, Christ is the solution, but what are you going to do about it? It's not just my problem. What are you going to do? The Pope says, Jesus is the exact opposite of a type of person who sits on the balcony and doesn't do anything. He gets engaged in the lives of the members. In fact, he gets down on his knees and washes their feet, and he touches the leper, and he heals the paralyzed person, and he speaks to the Samaritan woman. And he goes and he gazes up at Zacchaeus with a gaze of mercy and love. And that's what Jesus does. And that's what he expects of his members, to be involved and engaged. It's one thing to come to church. And perhaps we could think of the scene of the transfiguration. Lord, it is good for us to be here, Simon Peter says, gazing upon the glory of the Lord. But eventually we have to come down from the mountain. Eventually we have to engage, be engaged with life. Sometimes say, Lord, it's good to be uh, be here because my life at home or my life at work is terrible. And we use church as an escape. Or, Lord, it is good for us to be here for 45 minutes, to 60 minutes, depending on how long Father preaches, and then check the box, and I've done it. But have we been transformed by the one whom we are supposed to encounter here in this place? And do we engage others in life? And in the life, not just in life, but in the life that is Trinitarian life, the life in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Pope says an evangelizing community is also a community that accompanies its members, that walks with them. And he says sometimes, you know, he's talking to bishops and priests, sometimes the shepherd has to walk in front, leading, 
the way. Sometimes he has to be in the midst of his flock, listening to the joys and sorrows, the burdens and the hopes and dreams of his people. And sometimes he has to be behind so that no one gets, falls too far behind, no one gets left behind, and, and make sure everyone's safe. Shepherds of the church have to do that, but you as men in your family, St. Paul says, you know, you have to be leaders in your families, have to shepherd your people. Sometimes leading by example, sometimes being in the midst of them and being with them, not just in our work or on our phones, and sometimes walking behind them, keeping them safe, protecting them, making sure no one gets left behind. We accompany. Uh, last month, at the beginning of, actually at the beginning of October, it became available in English, something called Catechumenal Pathways for Matrimonial Life. It's a new way of approaching marriage preparation. When uh, couples uh, approach a priest for marriage, maybe they meet with the priest three or four times, maybe they attend a pre-cana weekend, and maybe a natural family planning course, and that's it. When I was training to be a priest, I had five years of formation, living there at the seminary, studying, praying to live my vocation. What do we give married couples? and engaged couples, next to nothing, right? But what's happening is marriage is being redefined by the courts and by the state. Young people today struggle to live their marriage. And so the church is saying, look, we have to consider a catechumenal model. A catechumen is someone who doesn't yet know Christ, hasn't yet been baptized, right? We can't presume that people today understand marriage or family life the way we did 20, 40, 60 years ago. Right? You don't just catch the faith by osmosis. We find even candidates for the priesthood, their family life is broken. And so the Holy Father and the church are saying, we need mentors. We have, of course, the very remote type of preparation for marriage that happens in the family and in the neighborhood growing up or Catholic schools. But then the more proximate, that's what the, the, uh, the Pope is asking of us as priests, deacons, lay ministers, we also need men and women, married couples, to be engaged in that process, mentoring these young couples through a catechumenal period, a longer period maybe for, before the actual wedding ceremony, to see that they're truly prepared. And then when they get engaged, a period of betrothal, further accompaniment. And then once they have their wedding day, it's a beautiful day. I'm concerned about the marriage. You get married at St. Patrick's. My brother got married here at St. Patrick's. It's a beautiful day, beautiful wedding. Father Hayes had his wedding right? But what about the married life? What's that going to be like? They say for priests, the first five years of priesthood are very important. Well, it's equally important for young couples. Now they're saying the Holy Father's asking us to accompany newly married couples as well so they can get their legs under them. Well, who's going to accompany them? Those who have been successful for marriage, those who have gone through crisis in marriage and emerged, those even who have gone through the pain of divorce but who have learned something can all contribute to this effort of accompaniment. Our young people need this type of accompaniment on their faith journey. Pope also says that an evangelizing community is one that is fruitful. We want, uh, you ask a farmer, well, he has to wait for the harvest, to, for, the, for the fruit of his labors, you know, to reap the crop. But the Pope uses here, he uses the parable of the weeds and the wheat to talk about this. And he says, you know, we don't, in that story, well, who's planted all these weeds? An enemy must have done this. Should, master, should we root them up? Should we tear them up? No, let them be for a while. And if they're still there, well, then come back and we'll take them out. Jesus, the Lord, the master of the harvest, is patient. 
In the parable, a Greek word zazania is used, which describes ryegrass, which is weeds, what we translate as weeds, which is very difficult to distinguish from wheat until the last moment. Sometimes we have to be patient with people in order to be bear fruit. We have to be patient with ourselves when we've worked hard at something, when we at first don't see the fruits of our labor. We have to be patient with others who sometimes are less than perfect. All of us are less than perfect. You know, but we're being gradually perfected by what we suffer, and we're being gradually challenged to be better by those around us. And so we have to, but the end goal is to bear fruit. Well, the ultimate fruit is joy. The fruit of all our labors of the life and ministry in the church, of course, is the Eucharist, the source and summit of all life in the church. There we experience the nuptial joy of one espoused to Jesus Christ. Do we experience joy? The Pope laments that sometimes there are Christians who practice Lent as if there was no Easter. What type of Catholic are you? What type of Catholic man are you? Are you a joyful one? People say, Bishop, Father, you're smiling all the time. It's the joy of being loved by the Lord. That's where my joy comes from. Are you a Catholic that complains about all the evils in the church, that rants against the evils of modernism, that rants against the secularized society? We can rant and be negative all we want, but we have good news to share. Right? All is not lost for us. We as Christians are people of hope and people of joy. And the words in Greek for grace and joy are very, very similar, very similar to one another. Right? What type of person am I? When I go home, am I angry all the time? Am I stressed? And if I am, have I returned to the Lord Jesus and nurtured that relationship? What's robbing me of my joy? What are those barriers to my joy? If people only see Catholics and Catholic men complaining and being dour or being judgmental, well, they won't see the good side of Catholicism, the beauty of being loved by the Lord, the beauty of being forgiven when we sin, the joy of being fed and shepherded and led, the, the joy of having other friends who share our faith of fraternity. What type of church do we want to be? What type of church is Christ calling us to be? Right? Really what we need to do is have this joy, and we want to be evangel an evangelizing community. But do you just want to be a mediocre evangelizing community, or do you want to be a great one? Right? We, I, Pope Benedict said, God has not made you for mediocrity, but for excellence. If you think back to your childhood, your childhood did your parents ever tell you, well, I hope you grow up to be average? <laughs> I have a friend of mine, Bishop Bob Dealey, uh, when he, he and his brother are both priests, and uh, when he said, when we were in eighth grade, he said, uh, Earl, my, uh, my, and the nun came in and sister said, look, if you are of average intelligence, average social graces, and average uh, faith, you can be an outstanding priest. <laughs> and so he, he and his brother looked at each other and said, hey, we're, we're average, let's go. And, but look what God did, right? But God's calling us to greatness. Our church has an illustrious history showing forth the splendor of Christ. But if we want to be the church Christ has called us to be, if we want to be truly evangelizing, then we need to have a vision. Many of you are Catholic businessmen, and you need to have, and I've said, used this term before, we need spiritual, we need to be spiritual entrepreneurs. Spiritual entrepreneurs. 
Well, today I'd like to flesh that out. What do I mean by that, to be a spiritual entrepreneur? Well, last week I had, I guess it was last week, I had lunch with Don DePero, St. Bridget's parishioner. Uh, he's uh, also president and CEO of the Columbus Chamber of Commerce. And I asked him, I said, I've used this term spiritual entrepreneur before. What do you think? What's your definition of an entrepreneur? He says, obviously, it's someone who has a vision. For us, the vision is actually given by Christ himself. But it says in the Book of Wisdom, he, those without vision perish. Right? And so we have to have a vision. But an entrepreneur has a vision. He says to himself, I have a vision that's greater than my competitors. What is the vision for life, for family life, for marriage, for mercy, for our society that we have? What is the vision that we can develop for the Diocese of Columbus? What is our vision? Mine involves evangelization and vocation, strengthening families. That's where we start, right? St. John Paul II said uh, the, the way of the church and the way of civilization passes through the family, right? What's our vision? as an entrepreneur, and is it a better vision than our competitors? He said, secondly, an entrepreneur is a leader instead of a manager. Look at yourself. What do you want to be? Do you want to be a leader or do you want to be a manager? Do you want to simply manage problems or do you want to solve them? Do you want to simply manage problems or do you actually want to get ahead? You know, if all you did is manage your money and you just put it in the bank, somebody will manage it for you at low interest and, it'll be, and inflation will be so high you'll actually be losing money. How do you grow the business? And how do you lead other people? You want to be a leader or manager? Uh, another thing he said is an entrepreneur is one who is focused. He's focused on the task at hand. He has no distractions. We have lots of distractions these days, and it comes in about this size, right? We're distracted by our phones, by the television, by our iPads. We're distracted by, you know, noisy. Can we be attentive to the task at hand? Sometimes we have lots of things to do. Do we prioritize? What is it that needs to be done? What is in front of me? What is God asking of me here and now? Am I focused on the mission? And ultimately, the goal is salvation. St. Ignatius of Loyola would say, what takes me more toward my end goal, which is heaven? And what takes me away from it? What is distracting me from the essence of what I am about, which is God? A third characteristic he says is, he's a great salesman. An entrepreneur is a great salesman, right? So I can sell anything. You got a, a car with no engine and a flat tire, I can sell it for you. I can sell anything. I sell split the pot tickets. Sometimes people say, oh, Father, that's not even fair, and they'll just give me the money. They won't even take the tickets. I can, I can sell you anything, right? But he said, you know, but take our clergy, right? What if I told your parish priest, look, I'm not funding your salary anymore. You go out and raise, fundraise your own salary. How motivated would he be? Would he just say mass and go back to his rectory and sit on his couch and watch TV all day and have his three square meals and not do much? You know, I had a priest yesterday who did a sick call within his parish boundaries, sent the hospice center a bill for $50. What on earth is going on? We need something more. If you have to fundraise your own salary, if you had to fundraise your own salary, your livelihood, how active would you be? We have focused missionaries, Fellowship of Catholic University students on Ohio State's campus. They have to fundraise their own salary. They have to go out and beg other people, buy into this mission. Do we do that with our faith? 
This is the mission of the church. Come on with me. Here's why. Here's all the reasons you should be Catholic. Right? Some of you are shaking your heads. Yeah, yeah. Who was the last person you invited to church? Who was the last person you said, why don't you think about entering the RCIA? If you had to fundraise your salary, could you do it? Then, he said, you know, entrepreneurs actually practice ethical practices. They're virtuous. People see them as not only leaders but men of integrity and are willing to sacrifice for them, willing to get behind them. Right, Pope Benedict XVI, when he wrote his social encyclical, uh, Charity and Truth, Caritas in Veritate, he said, look, when the 2008 financial downturn happened, did it happen because we didn't have intelligent men? He said, no, there were lots of intelligent men who knew lots of things about money. We had, a, because we had the crisis, the collapse happened because we had people who weren't virtuous. They became consumed by greed. They weren't concerned at all with justice. And he who cares little for justice will care little for truth and will care even less for love. They will care only about themselves. Do you, are you virtuous or unvirtuous? Do you just want to get ahead or is, some, is there something more? When you examine yourself, are you a man of integrity? And are you a Catholic of integrity who's consistent? Because the young people are looking for consistent witnesses to the faith. Does this adult actually believe what he or she, she says she believes? Do they practice it? Or do they say one thing with their lips and treat everybody else like dirt? Which they would call hypocrisy. Hypocrite in Greek was actually a term that was used for an actor. And it took on a negative connotation. One who pretends to be what he or she is not. Are you an actor? Or are you the real deal? Spiritual entrepreneurs are the real deal. Finally, he said, an entrepreneur is really a servant leader. And I said to him, well, you know, when I was in the seminary 25 years ago, we heard the servant leadership stuff, and it sounded very 70s-ish to us. I'm sure the young people, if I to a young priest, if I told them to be a servant leader, they would, uh, you know, they'd say, have the same response. That sounds like something from the 70s, Bishop. Give us something new. Give us something substantive. And he said, well, I describe servant leadership this way. Are you willing to sacrifice yourself? Or are you willing to sacrifice others first? There it is. Because Jesus sacrifices himself for us. He doesn't say, oh, Peter, Andrew, James, John, take the bullets, take the nails for me. He sacrifices himself first. Maximilian Kolbe in Auschwitz, he says, I am a priest. I'll take this man's place. He has a family. Right? That is servant leadership. So to be a spiritual entrepreneur, which is really what we need for the mission of evangelization to be successful, we need to have leaders rather than managers. We need to be focused and be without distraction on the mission at hand, which is pro proclaiming Jesus Christ and the salvation he offers. We need to be salesmen and say, this is why you should be Catholic and be a part of our community and why our community gives you what you really need, what your heart's deepest desires are. And look, the members of our community we're not perfect, but we are people of virtue and integrity. And we practice these virtues with relative ease, and I am willing to sacrifice for you. Before Vatican II, every time a priest had to give a homily at, at, at marriage, this text was already prepared. And it would talk about God as the author of marriage, children as the crown of marriage. The key to every successful marriage is based on the principle of self-sacrifice. And then it would go on to say, sacrifice is usually difficult and irksome. Only love can make it easy, and perfect love can make it a joy. We are willing to sacrifice in proportion to our love, 
And when our love is perfect, the sacrifice is complete. There is no greater love than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Gentlemen, there it is. Are you willing to be men of sacrifice for the sake of the mission of the church, who is Christ's presence in the human reality? And our human reality right now is full of misery and needs nothing more than the balm of God's mercy. So that's all I've got on this little sheet of paper here. Um, uh, but, uh, but anyway, thank you for your time, and uh, it's great to be with you.